episode by sampling one of your beat. Thank y'all for coming back onto Black Matter Podcast. She went away, did a tutorial overnight, and learned how to use um, this Rodecaster Pro. <laughs> so, the thing that I wanted us to really talk about, since Black Matter is more than a podcast, it's a social platform for Black femmes and all things Black dimensionalities, um, I love having different folks who are black and who identify as people of color on the show to kind of talk about the nuances of our identities and how we center those nuances in our work. Um, for me, I, um, I kind of call it black dimensionality, which is really just thinking about the simultaneity of blackness and queerness and how in my body um, they're constantly informing each other. And Johannes, I really liked what you said when we were talking at the Valentine about like how blackness and queerness are like constantly informing each other. So I wanted to kind of kick off there and um, get us into uh, the new word that y'all taught me. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. Yep. So we, we coming up. We got a, we got a little word for y'all. Um, you know, because we have to have a critical kiki. Mm -hmm. So it's really thinking about like the middle ground space um, between like blackness and queerness. Yeah, definitely. So um, I think we're definitely talking about definitely this middle space when we're talking about tertiary so mm -hmm. like um i don't know if we if we got that report or not but we were talking about like that uh communicating that thinking about it through like color mm -hmm. so when we're talking about color there's you know your primary colors your secondary colors and then there's tertiary which is like the you know the third level just a mix of primary and secondary colors together and what you get, you know, when you mix those is, is that tertiary. So like the nuance, middle ground, I think that's what we were, we're talking about between, uh, you know, blackness and queerness. I was actually uh, actually very fascinated in like this idea. And I, um, also it's just, I think there's a lot of misconception um, between the two and that I think they just sometimes they, they clash, but they are essentially, I think they are one and the same, so. What do you mean by the misconception? Well, I, we were talking about like the idea of being uh, discriminated mm -hmm. and like you know scrutinized for specific um, identity. I think that that is definitely a, a problem, you know, amongst us in our in the black community. Mm -hmm. For me, I feel like a lot of times, a lot of black folks we just don't often know what the word queer means and we're always tying it to like sexuality. Mm -hmm. I'm constantly thinking about queerness because my work is kind of um, about recuperation. My work as a scholar, my work as an artist, um, I work as an educator because you know education doesn't just happen in the academy so I like to make it clear that like you know there's scholarship like the university kind of education but then there's also just like you know the education that happens in you know my grandmother's house at the kitchen table and those spaces for me I've always seen them as queer spaces because my grandma's like flamboyant Caribbean like home uh, place um, is where I really learned to kind of embrace my femininity and also my masculinity and like going to like you know stores like Cache with my grandmother like if y'all know Cache, Cache was like the place where Older, all ages of women shopped and got like the glittery, you know, um, tops. And my grandma would always get like one, you know, really over the top shirt from Cache. And I would always think about like how much joy that brought her. 
Um, and so I like to think about queerness um, beyond just their sexuality and how black people, because we are pushed to the margins of a white supremacist society, we um, reimagine terms like beauty. We reimagine what it means to have quote unquote, you know, professional hair. Like we reimagine um, joy and we, we are often tasked with creating like something amazing out of, out of something out of nothing, out of, out of small resources. But I love to think about them interlocked. There's so much conditioning in our community where like queerness and blackness are like this separate thing. But I think both queerness and blackness like reimagine space and create like alternative worlds. Yeah. I also think that they're both very much, um, we were talking about like ideas of like, you know, like self-hate. Mm -hmm. um, so they're both within the same, they're still both um, clash even in that way within the, within the community as well. So like. We're talking about church a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. So like, yes. so we're talking about like thinking about ideas about uh, professionalism as well. So yeah. like, you can't can't go to like, you, you know, I have had those conversations um, with my parents, but oh, you can't go to that job interview with your, you know, your hair like this. Mm -hmm. um, so like, that's like a attack, like on you know uh, blackness within mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. own communities. Yeah, it's just a strange thing that have that persists even for those who are encapsulated in it. And the thing I love the most about, I mean, the brief time that we got to work together on the Everyday Black Matter film, um, I love working with other black men and having these kinds of conversations because I think we rarely get to like embrace each other's various identity nuances. We rarely get to celebrate like black men as queer, or what I mean by that is like black men as diverse, thinking about diversity from a place of uh, blackness versus thinking constantly about like black maleness or black masculinity as this like uh, linear thing like this is how you are a man this is how you perform your black maleness and like it can often be very rigid right and when I think about my masculinity like you know don't get it twisted I identify as masculine and feminine they're both inside of me but my masculinity I wholeheartedly like cite black women for like where it came from because I remember you know when your mom you said like I'm the mommy and the daddy and she's a single mom but like mm -hmm. the ways that I saw black women in my life, single moms, uh, church ladies, uh, the very aggressive um, school lunch teachers, like <laughs> perform masculinity and femininity and like embrace uh, all their identity intersections and nuances through the way that they wore their hair. Things like the big chop, uh, having like, you know, um, masculine hairstyles but then like switching it up and doing a wig. I think black women inherently play with gender um, and we would be liars if we said that like young black boys weren't influenced by that. Johannes on the beats, my G. etc. I'm like, I just think that the ticket to um, getting rid of the the virus, the other uh, pandemic <laughs> that is hyper masculinity mm -hmm. is um, educating our young uh, black boys that they can find themselves, they can find mentorship and they can resonate with folks that don't share their same gender identity. 
um, Chelsea Lamore, who came on the who came on the show before y'all, so she'll be episode one. She talked about like you know we need to raise black men as strong as we're expecting black women to be, yeah. and that's a whole other episode. That's episode one. Um, but I, I I love this conversation because I just love being able to think openly about um, you know blackness and queerness and how they're like informing one another. My experience is um, I predominantly grew up around women. My level of comfort as well is, is around like women. Um, so there's that. You know, so. <laughs> and how do you think about your your Black Matter? Define that however you want. Um, how do you think about your Black Matter in your art practice? Wait, so, like the parts of your Blackness or the parts of your Black identity that even your wife doesn't know about or your mom doesn't know about. Like how do you explore um, the, the middle ground space uh, in your identity or just like the nuance of your of your identity through your like tangible practice? Come on me with an yes. ethereal okay. question. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna stop laughing at my not. sound effects. I but yeah, my, I, I, I like this question because I, I wanna know more. I mean, we're just getting to know each other, so I do wanna know more about you, but like, yeah, what are the, the nuanced uh, parts of your identity that even those closest to you may not know about, but you, you reserve your art, your tangible art practice to explore them? Because you got a lot going on in these beats. The song that I used from you to dance to, it was because I felt it like kind of connecting with my body. It was connecting with, you know, the nuance that I wanted to bring into this film. And I feel like it was joyful, but it was like, you know, upbeat, but it also had just like, it couldn't be contained to like a genre. It wasn't quite a twerk song, but it wasn't quite modern dance. It was, uh, I'm think I'm talking about the Queen and Slim beat. Um, and it was, it was everything, you know what I'm saying? So I'm, I'm interested in like, how do you resonate with the Queen and Slim beat? There's like a history, right? So yeah. like, um just doing like my own research mm -hmm. and like um, through experience and then also like actually like you know, picking up books and you know and, and whatever media I could consume. We're talking about music and there's like a rich history um, in America specifically um, with black music. So like you know black music in America being like probably the best music you know. So it's just like this amalgamation of like all these things that, that happened um, due to like uh, transatlantic slave trade mm -hmm. and all these other things that happened to create this, um, you know, blues and jazz. Yeah. Um, and then there's a, there's a level of this that's, that is kind of forgotten. We created techno. So like all that like combined together is like what I'm thinking about when I... Um, or not even necessarily what I think about. It's like intrinsic at this point. Mm -hmm. So like it was something that I was thinking about and then it turned into like, now it's just a, a innate thing that happened. Well, my mother, Madison Moore, and my homie, Wes Taylor, they would love what you're saying because they both kind of explore uh, the history of techno music and their work and yeah. think about techno through like, you know, Detroit cultural aesthetic exactly, and how like yeah. black people created techno but have constantly been like written out of it to the exactly. point where as black folks were like, girl, we don't like no techno. You know what I mean, like. But we made it. Yeah, yeah I um, I forgot his <laughs> name, but you you give me vibes from uh the guy who wrote the book about like um, he has a chapter in um Rebecca Walker's book, but he has a chapter about uh he identifies as like a nerdy black man, and he talks about how black folks um constantly made fun of him for being a nerd, but like he also uh builds out this theory to like show how uh as black people, we're the only ones that, like, contain what we can and can't do. So, like, black people don't swim. Black people don't speak Japanese. Like, those kinds of things. I have to come back and cite him, but um, it's, it's, a, it's a dope book. But I do want to play Queen and Slim and then just, like, tell us about your process of making that beat. <laughs> 
It really is yeah. like when I heard that and we were um, and first of all, I want to thank you for just like being so generous and making the film with me because when I contacted you, we had not met each other. You just like was open to the project and sent us like kind of a mixtape, I guess. Yeah. And I just got to sample all the beats. And I feel like that um, really speaks to my like messy ass process of making art because I like I struggle, but it's not a struggle. It's me. I have ADHD. And so I'm, I don't make art or write or do any of my my scholarly work or my artwork in this like um organized contained way you know what i mean like i didn't know what kind of music we needed for this film until i really like saw aurora scene or i didn't know what kind of beat i wanted for my dance until i really like started moving and then like have it so having your mixtape and just having access to just like all these crazy ass beats that like weren't a particular genre. Cause if somebody came to me and was like, what kind of drum, genre of music do you want for the film? Like, I have no idea. I have to see the, the rough edit first, you know? Mm -hmm. So it allowed my process to like really be um, exploratory uh, because even in hearing the beat and knowing that I wanted to use the beat in, in my film, air quotes, I still didn't know like what kind of beat that was, like what kind of genre it was, et cetera. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that beat. Um, I hope it worked. That it hope it did sample in the episode because <laughs> we're learning how to do that. But yeah, talk to me about like where were you when you made that? Yeah, so so that particular beat actually has a it's a pretty interesting story because there was um, the quarantine had kind of um, just happened. Um, I was in Provincetown, Massachusetts. I was already like isolated, mm. um, and then it hit, and then it was even more like isolation because like you know people can't come visit you, you can't leave. Um, so I was stifled, and I was pretty much in a uh, in a place where I wasn't creating anything mm. um, for like for weeks, maybe even a, maybe even for maybe a month or so. And mm. then I decided I kind of felt a little better, so then I started to create um, a beat a day. Nice. So I did this project where, Come I, on, took, challenge. <laughs> where I took like some of my favorite films, uh -huh. um, Queen of Sin was one of them, and took a scene from it, an unedited scene, and just like a, a snippet from it, and tried to build um, sounds around that scene. Mm. So that's what that came from. Um, and a lot of those sounds, um, I think the the one part towards the towards the middle at the end, it's like me. I uh, was beating on this guitar. Uh, like, <laughs> I don't play guitar, but I had I had a guitar, and I had, I create like these libraries of sounds. So like mm. I just I pull from them. It, that me beating on that guitar, I can remember when I was doing it, and it was um, in this apartment in Greensboro, North Carolina, um, where I was upset actually you know i was with this woman that i was not feeling you know so anyway that's a whole nother story but um 
So I was in this lonely closet beating on this guitar. It's <laughs> <laughs> <Just> like crickets. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, she lost you because she, she, girl, you lost a dope artist. <laughs> anyway. Sorry, girl. Yeah, anyway, so, um. It's <laughs> a whole another story. I'm sorry. I'm sorry yeah. to my wife for this story. <laughs> you know, I, while you were talking, I got the guy that you remind me of. Uh, he's kind of geeky, but he talks about like really nuanced blackness, and uh, he runs a show, United Shades of America. You remind me of him. just his um, his his. I don't know if he identifies as an artist, but his aesthetic, like his name. Um, what is his name? Uh, Camus Camus Bell. Yeah, but then the book that I think you like could write a chapter in is it's uh, Black Cool, 1,000 Streams of Blackness by Rebecca Walker. But it's an anthology, but it just talks about a lot of stuff that we're talking about. But sorry, carry on. So she lost you. Yeah. You made, so the beat was about so, during so, a breakup kind of thing? Uh, well, not necessarily. So like, it's just like um, I was speaking to like how I, how I create um, sounds. And I, I, take, I make a library, right? So mm-hmm. like... These sounds I have um, in my computer, on my hard drive, and I like I try to make sure I keep up with them in case one of my hard drives dies. But I just have so many different sounds, so it's like a archive, mm. and I pull from the archive from time to time. During this time, I wasn't like I said, I wasn't making anything, mm. so I use my archive to motivate me to create something new. Dope, yeah. dope, dope, dope. I mean, yeah, I, I like hearing your hearing your process because as we were talking about. Uh, that like middle ground space. I just love that like the film was made and the film is a thing. Your music was made and your music is a thing. And like when you see them together, it's almost like the music was made for the film. So it just shows how like as black folks, like even when we don't know each other personally, like our work is often so connected and it makes the collaboration not just beautiful, but it makes the collaboration like something that um, allows us to kind of like think and reimagine and rethink our own work and like the stuff that we're exploring in our work so like mm-hmm. that's dope um and again it, i love the conversation about the middle ground space because it i feel like um Alok's words Alok is a famous poet uh, that i follow on instagram and i've met uh, in person and seen them speak and just like am always blown away by their words but they talked about recently on instagram about um kind of you know disrupting these rigid institutional spaces that like operate a gender a constant gender binary and try to put us in boxes especially as folks of color and um how they don't want to be you know anyone's poster child or anyone's trauma story and so i feel like when we make art about like nuance our nuanced black experiences and connect us black trans folks black queer folks black straight folks etc um where we are actively showing these spaces that seek to de- constantly define us for us that there's no such thing as like the black experience mm-hmm. right and that like we can't be contained and like um there's no monolith within the black community and that you can have conversations about diversity from a place of blackness you know what i'm saying so dope um yeah so thank you for the music i love it um i'm hoping that you know we'll talk offline and like you'll uh sample some of your beats on the podcast and we think about how that looks uh to you know, keep featuring some of your music and some of the as some of the uh, as the aesthetic of like some of the work I'm doing. So, shout out to you, uh, Johannes. <laughs> then, um, without further ado, um, we have one of my dear friends here, who's also a scholar and artist in their own own way, which we will let her uh, talk about. So, Miss Doctor. <laughs> Queen, Lady of the Night, Miss Doctor Queen, Lady of the Night, Miss <laughs> yeah. Doctor Queen, Lady of the Night. I see. 
Dr. Queen if you're nasty. <laughs> so as we saw um, your dope scene in the film, which I'm going to give you a, a round of applause for that scene. Because you killed it. Thank you. You really Thank did. You. Tell us a little bit about you. Um, keep it short because you have your own episode right. coming up, period. So mm-hmm. I do... Um, I do appreciate you being here tonight, and I, I brought you on the show with Johannes. You know, this is Johannes's episode, so Johannes is sharing the stage. Um, I wanted to have you two in conversation because, again, it's that, um, the, the dynamic of, like, y'all didn't know each other, but Aurora danced to uh, Johannes's, uh, one of Johannes's beats, uh, six beats, I think, in total we use from you in the film, uh, Everyday Black Matter. Hopefully y'all have seen it. If you haven't seen it, um, borrow $7 from a white friend. <laughs> <laughs> or if you know if you're close to me send me uh, a DM and I'll give you that um, comp no actually I'm gonna edit that out niggas y'all have seven dollars right <laughs> support like Mimi says support me bitch yes. support me give your good sis seven dollars yes or it's a it's a, it's a um, to see everyday black matter film it is a suggested donation so seven dollars is the minimum but for the white folks listening at a zero add another zero to that please yeah because we, we need some money to you know Pay these uh, these artists, these forty one black artists and contributors that we worked with, like we want this film to keep bringing us um, some coin, yeah. so we can share it in other spaces. But without further ado, like I love your scene. Um, I love the way that your scene challenged me as a quote unquote director, mm, right? Yes. Like, um, and we'll talk about that. But yeah. I just it was such a, a joy to work with you on a film about yeah. black joy and reparations, yeah. and I think that like you can't have conversations about black joy and reparations without having you know black trans women in the film because yeah. black trans women need to also you know be at the forefront of recuperation yeah. um not just from white folks but from the ways that the community has also mistreated non-binary and queer and trans folks as well so um i love that you took that scene and was like this camera is mine yeah. That's what I got from your scene. Yes. Yeah, I'm, um, <laughs> for those of you who don't know me, my name is Aurora Higgs, and um, I am, uh, what What aren't I? I am a uh, scholar, a PhD student. I am a performer of burlesque and other sexual, political, satirical art forms. I, um... What else do I do? I'm a community activist. Uh, I'm, d- I'm a speaker. I'm a consultant. I'm all the things and I am still underpaid. So uh, it's really great to be here and it's great to be valued in your film. And I loved the scene where I was bathing myself in dollars because that is truly aspirational because Lord knows that is not the yes. present sta- like status. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we dream big and then we'll do big. You're right. Tell us about the quote that you had in the film. Um, it didn't make the editor's room, but the quote when we were outside. At the end, yeah, you know, and it's in reference to the limited amount of funding that you were that you got for this amazingly beautiful uh, film that completely uh, exceeded my expectations as somebody who was in it and as somebody who was a stakeholder of it. Mm. Um, and so it's it was kind of referencing that and. I just had this thought of, you know, as black queer people, we can make anything and everything out of nothing, but don't make us. You know, it's like we we have that capability, but for too long has it been exploited and it's about time we capitalize on our own talent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Don't do anything for them unless they overpay you. 
Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean, it's crazy because even though that there are some really powerful scenes that didn't make the film because that's just, you know, how the process goes, um, they're still, they still lend themselves to having like really dope dialogue about some of the, the things that this film allows us to really think about. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, like, you know, the, the Valentine technically contacted Chaz Barracks, mm -hmm. Dr. Chaz Barracks, mm -hmm. um, for the white people listening, um, put some respect on my name. <laughs> um, the Valentine technically contacted Chaz Barracks to do this exhibition and to do this film project. And I think it just speaks to how much, how little they know about us and the ways that we work. Like as a black queer artist in Richmond and an educator that's not um, funded in the ways that I deserve, mm -hmm. um, there's no way that black matter can be singular, right? Like mm -hmm. it always has to be in conversation with other black folks, which is why we worked with a total of like 41 um, black artists and contributors for this piece. Folks who I didn't even know um, really, you know, came to the barbecue and was like, what what can I bring to the potluck? And like, I just think that like, if these museums really understood the power of collaboration in black communities, then they would, you know, find the coin to make sure that we're all paid properly. But like mm -hmm. the film, and I'm not even throwing shade to them, it's just facts. The film right. exceeds the Valentine Museum. The film exceeds the University of Richmond. It exceeds, you know, any of these art institutions um, that are riddled in white supremacy that are like now in 2020 just trying to like put a action behind the Black Lives Matter mm -hmm. Facebook posts. Yeah. Um, so with that said, like, I hope um, by doing things like, you know, breaking the, the rules or whatever you want to call it, breaking the fourth wall and putting our cash apps in the film mm -hmm. and talking um, transparently with contributing artists to the film that like, yeah, we, we use $3,500 to make that whole piece. It's a 22 minute film, do the math, mm -hmm. right? Like we were underpaid um, and we weren't just underpaid because Valentine like didn't have any money to any more money to give us. Mm -hmm. <laughs> let's, hold a, let's hold for a moment of silence for the missing funds. <laughs> we weren't just underpaid because the Valentine Museum maybe didn't have any more money to give us. We were underpaid because they also like don't understand the the depth of our knowledge and how dope mm -hmm. the work the work can be when we mm -hmm. are properly compensated yeah right like the way that it would free up time um mm -hmm. the way that it would uh allow for us to have things done to the film like color grade uh mm -hmm. proper marketing like all of that but mm -hmm. for me i really went big with this film piece and you know I, I i love everybody that contributed because i know like we definitely overworked um i went big with it because it's like i think as black folks sometimes we have to work with this like sense of urgency like yeah. we don't know where the next uh, grants coming from mm -hmm. and you have to you know fill out sometimes and it's also a place of it came from a place of exhaustion too like as an artist I'm tired of filling out you know 12 page uh, grant Google documents yeah. to get two dollars and twelve cents to make something that is um, showcasing my passion which is a very vulnerable thing because you're putting your passion work into these institutions that when it's all said and done they don't give a fuck about us they don't they don't know us they don't know how to look to know us mm -hmm. they just look at us and see like you know diversity marketing and so it's important um i think when we talk about black joy um which i'm, I'm getting ahead of myself for the episode but whatever um I think, like, for me, I can only speak for myself, like, when I talk about Black Joy in my film work or, or writing or um, any of the things that I put out into the world, Black Joy is not just about, like, smiles and pleasure and showing Black people, like, wearing their hair natural. Mm -hmm. It's also about, like, being able to create and be seen and be valued from a place of, of, of um, un, 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 in, inhibition. Yeah. And also being able to create work 
um, that comes from a place of rage, but not be labeled as an angry black woman. To tell people, like, you just pissed me off, you just stepped on my toe, and not be labeled as um, a hyper-masculine black man. Like, it comes, I think black joy for me has to be this, um, this space to just, like, be. Mm-hmm. to be emotional, to be masculine, to be feminine at the same time, um, and to have these institutions, like, value our humanity as it, as it is, not as it, uh, not only when it code switches. Right. You know what I'm saying? So, the film brought up a lot of stuff for me, um, and I know that we had some questions that a few folks have sent, and, um, shout out to my friend Jamar, who also sent me some other questions, but I think you wanted to get into the questions. Right, so, um... And are y'all good? Do you need a break? Keep going. Cool. Yeah. So one of the things that I, one of the questions I had was when I was watching the film, it was giving me very much like Noel's sister vibes. Like the art direction seemed very... Noel's sister? No, sisters. Like it's giving me Beyonce, it's giving me Solange, mainly Solange. Yeah. But like also that's like a, there's a shared aesthetic there that I've always appreciated as Mm -hmm. a black feminine person. Mm -hmm. And say what you want, however you feel about those artists, they do a great job together of showing a great range of black femininity. Um, And so what what inspired you? What were your inspirations for this, um, how it should look, how it should feel, what the texture of the film was going to be? Yeah, I I love bringing in the word like texture. Come on with our... um... Keywords. I've studied you. I know you as a scholar, bitch. <laughs> yes, bitch. <laughs> you do know me. What else do we, um, what other, whatever vocab words do we have in this episode? We've got textures. Mm-hmm. We have... Black matter. Black matter. We have, um... Tertiary. 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 And then we had another one. You were talking about an African proverb or African art form. Oh, griot. Griot. Oh, yeah. That will bring up, bring that up after this. But, um, yes, I love to open this question with, like, this concept of, like, textures of blackness because... I was really using um, my body in this film as kind of like a texture in a way um, because I saw a a connectivity to everybody that's in the film. And the Mm -hmm. film is an everybody black film. And I think as a black queer man that is often seen as feminine, that's often seen as a faggot, like the film was about letting go of those like boxes that I'm put Mm -hmm. in, even that queer black folks put me in, right? And it was thinking about how each of us, how I resonated with each of y'all that was in the film. I resonated with Johannes' music in the way that I moved to it. I resonated with your film, with your piece about kind of having this um, this freedom and this flamboyant and like over expression Mm -hmm. of your sexuality because of the ways that not just you, but the ways that our ancestors, our trans ancestors have been repressed to not express them themselves as they want. Um, And I, I wanted to, that's why I danced throughout so many um, scenes of the film to kind of make sure that you're seeing the film as kind of like a roller coaster. And even though a roller coaster goes, up and down and loops and goes upside down very similar to a lot of black ass life um it's still on one track and like mm-hmm. we're all still connected and when you put that in an individual perspective like our lives you know just as black folks out here struggling hustling striving thriving like dr t said in the piece um it's still one track right like when i look back on my black ass life like there is, a, is some traumatic shit that i've that i've been through but i wouldn't want to be anything else but a black faggot from New England by way of Jamaica. <laughs> you know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, that's just what it is. And I and I don't want to give this narrative that, like, all black people struggle. But, mm-hmm. like, it is a struggle to be black yeah. in America. So, yes. Uh, and then to go more broad, like, you know. I love me some Solange. Yes. 
<laughs> and Solange was a big uh, inspiration for so much of like my graduate studies. Um, Solange, Micheline Thomas, um, Robert Pruitt, uh, who his artwork is in Solange's When I Get Home film, uh, James Baldwin as a, as a writer. And then, um, you know, basically, I'm just naming a lot of the artists that Solange works with, like Nicolene Thomas. Um, Nicolene Thomas, Robert Pruitt, and I, I mean, Bell Hooks as well. And yeah. I was really putting a lot of Bell Hooks' writing in conversation with Solange's visuals because mm-hmm. both of them really, um, and I can't forget to mention Carrie Mae Weems. I'm a huge fan of her photography work. Um, and Kendrick Lamar, uh, that's another, you know, fellow Gemini, and just the nuance and a lot of his lyrics mm-hmm. and how he's so critical of systems in his lyrics. Mm-hmm. Like, but to go to Solange for a second and pay homage to um, my, you know, one of my favorite avant-garde fine artists. Yes. Um, because Solange centers everyday black life as fine art. Mm-hmm. And similar to Bell Hooks, Bell Hooks has an essay called The Home Place as a Site of Resistance. Mm-hmm. And I put those two things in conversation in a lot of my work. Even though I'm not necessarily writing about Solange, I'm constantly thinking about her through the visual and Bell Hooks kind of through the writing. And Bell Hooks, the Home Place essay really talks about the black home, the black woman's kitchen table as like an intellectual space. And I think with Solange's work, even when she was weird and people weren't really following her as we are now, I was a fan, right? She's always centered this kind of like middle ground, queer, eccentric uh, black identity. Mm -hmm. Um, The black identity that I think resonates with so many geeks and so many, you know, the Issa Rays of the world before they become famous. Um, And I say that because as a a black queer kid, as as a sissy boy, right? Like I was constantly the fly on the wall in black spaces. Mm-hmm. And by being the fly on the wall in black spaces, as you can probably resonate with as an artist, like you get to see things that the people ain't looking at. Yeah, because they're participating. Yeah, you get to see like some beautiful ass shit that other people aren't looking at. Like the way that my grandma and her best friend, my faux aunt Bibi, um, who I don't actually know if my Bibi's my real aunt or not, but mm-hmm. black life. Yeah, right. <laughs> But the way that they would hold hands every time we would go to dinner together. And, like, even though they're not uh, lesbian or whatever, it was a queer love between them where, like, my grandma and my aunt baby were always holding hands, like, in the parking lot and mm-hmm. we would wait for the restaurant. And it was because they were, like, they're older women, they're leaning on each other. Yeah. But seeing that was this, like, queer, you know, loving mm-hmm. bond that I saw between these two women that I wanted to be able to express safely among, like, black men and not be called a name or not have my sexuality assumed. So... I don't go off on a tangent, but like salons and the role of just like uh, thinking about black homes and how everyday black life is fine art. Mm -hmm. Um, Missy Elliott teaches us that in a lot of her visuals, just like Mm -hmm. taking these everyday black things, these material things and showing how like dope they are. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that um, I put in the film that is a part of my everyday black matter that I don't think I get to talk about in quote unquote academic spaces is like the voicemails from like my aunt and from my grandma. Right, because like those voicemails that I have from my auntie Sharon and from my grandma, like the constant conversations I have with like you know the black women of my life, like my aunts and my grandma. Um, no matter where I've been in the world, whether it's finishing undergrad, dealing with some white you know fuckery in Caucasity at universities that I've worked at, living in Japan as a teacher and kind of you know experiencing being very welcome there as a foreigner, but not necessarily as like a black person, mm-hmm. and like having to reconcile with that. Like I called my grandma. <laughs> like I'm a 32 year old man that like you know I can when I think about all of the dope ass shit I've done in my life that day that dope ass day has always wrapped with a phone conversation to my grandma yeah. and it it keeps me humble it keeps me feeling a sense of home mm-hmm. even when I'm in spaces where I do not feel like I belong 
And I just think like as, you know, Dr. Chaz and as scholars and artists, when we're on panels and uh, podiums and stuff, we don't typically get to really credit how much our everyday black matter is like the reason for why we have the success that we have. Because in places where I was, you know, not feeling welcome and was feeling like the faggot in the barbershop, mm -hmm. I call my grandma and just be on the phone with her. Yeah. And I think like, you know, I want to find more ways to use, whether it be the, the, the podcast, which in academia we call it oral history collection, mm -hmm or the camera lens or whatever to center um, those moments as intellectual because they are as critical because they are as nuanced mm -hmm. because they are. Um, yeah. And so my grandmother, Solange, Carrie Mae Weems, um, uh, Adrian Marie Brown, and um, the role of futurism was big in this film too, which I know we're going to yeah. talk about. Mm -hmm. I live. <laughs> <laughs> What scenes in the film did y'all, um, and this is not just like, you know, I mean, this is my show, but it's not the Chaz show, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Like, mm -hmm. what scenes in the film did y'all really resonate with in terms of, like, your, your black-ass life? And, like, like did you, did you connect to the voicemail? I don't want to, I don't want to put it on you. Like, just tell me what scenes in the film, like, aside from your own scene, aside right. from hearing your music, like, what parts of the film were you, like, wow. yeah. It looks, it's like, um, for me, the pay here, uh, sign, yes. um, with Aurora Von Bliss dancing and twerking Shout and... Shout out to her. She killed it. I love me some Aurora Von Bliss and, um, I may or may not be her namesake. Uh, I'll let her tell that story one day. Um... I love that because it really was just this beautiful, like, symbolism. You're in this urban setting, you know, you're in a parking lot, and then there's this, and it's at night, and lit up like a beacon is this pay here sign, mm -hmm. and it's it's the light at the end of the tunnel. It's the promise of reparations. Mm -hmm. That's the Afro-futurist futurist aspect uh, to me, is yes. that that being manifested yes. um, in an, at an actual, like, you know, wouldn't it be nice if there was like a reparation ATM where you just walked up to and you received your funds? Watchmen. Yeah. Have you seen say that again? Watchmen. No. The, the, t the TV show mm -mm. Um, on HBO. Yeah. Oh, you haven't seen it? It's a. It's so good. I'm watching P Valley. Okay. Well, you can watch both. <laughs> rule rule number fifty five point nine. No watching no other motherfucking shows while you watching weed. P Valley, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> You know P Valley? I've caught two episodes. Woo! I'm about to start, Shit. but my sister told me about the. The rules. thing I will say about P Valley, uh, uh, earmuffs. <laughs> I love the way that they are. Again, like subversion and disruption mm -hmm. is a big thing uh, that I look for, especially in like black and queer artists. I love that because it is a show about you know black, uh, typically black cis women yeah. working in a strip club. They are very intentional about showing dicks. Showing naked men. Yes. They're showing you that, like, nah, men, you can't just watch this show to see some titties. Mm -hmm. You will see the beautifulness of all black bodies. And I think that there is just... I would love to be in conversation with their filmmaker or whoever's, you know, running the show because you could tell, very similar to Insecure, there's this intentionality that's placed around um, they're showing nude men because a lot of these shows... Like, I read something a while ago when I was preparing for a class that I taught at U of R um, that said that, like, men get paid like almost triple right. to show their yeah. front their frontal yeah. versus women because there's just so many men that won't do it. Yeah. And I love that these new shows like Insecure and P Valley are like, nah, 
everybody on this show is getting motherfucking naked. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think it it seems very intentional. It does. And it it gives the men, it shows like more vulnerability, which I want to see a new, I want to see all ranges of actors. Yeah. And I want to see all actors go vulnerable. I don't want to just see titties on the show that's about a titty bar like because that's obvious right i want to see some men being vulnerable as well right and because it the thing is it's like it's a dope the, show the, the sexualization of the female body is not inherently bad what's inherently bad is the fact that we will not and we refuse to sexualize and objectify the male uh, equivalent mm-hmm. and so it it um and just you saying that that men get paid three times more it uh, signifies that their genitals are more valuable. Mm-hmm. Oh, it, I read it somewhere. I don't know where it came from, but I I'm I sure that's true. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's a dope show. <clears throat> Shout out to to P Valley. Yeah. You know when a, when a bitch is a little bit bigger, like um, the actors of P Valley, uh-huh. Big Frida, um, <sighs> Frida, uh, the f- photographer who I love, Dawson, um, Lena, uh, Dina Dawson, no Lawson. Yeah. Lena. Deanna. Deanna Lawson. Lawson. Yeah. <laughs> Dope photographer, like <laughs> the struggle. Sorry, girl, I'm mad. <laughs> the black struggle. I just learned how to actually work the machine that we're using for the podcast yesterday. <laughs> but yes, uh, sorry to go off on a tangent, but whatever. No, yeah, it's my show. Uh-huh. Go, say what you were saying before about your scene. The pay oh here. right, yeah. okay. Um, yeah, wouldn't it be cool if there was just like a, a portal, like a kiosk you go to get your reparations, yes. and like that's what that um, represented for me, and to watch. Aurora, a black femme, queer, hypersexualized by perception um, person at the sign, getting her life and, you know, symbolizing getting the reparations mm-hmm. and, you know... Leading it, the conversation. Yeah, and it almost was like, you know, the dance could have been interpreted as, like, you know, a joy dance of victory. You know, yes. that's what I got from it. Because yep. if I'm getting coins, I'm twerking. Like, yes. that's what I do. When I get food and when I get coin, I twerk. And because, you know, because she works <laughs> at, you know, dance clubs in Richmond, I think you can't have conversation <laughs> about reparations and not mm-hmm. have strippers and sex workers at the forefront of it because Absolutely. of the ways that they, um, you know literally dance for money yeah and so i wanted for the pay here dance i wanted to be led by someone who has experience of like you know setting their worth beyond what the club says they're worth you Mm -hmm. know like working a little extra and saying like nah nigga i'm in a bad mood that lap dance is not twenty dollars tonight it's two thousand dollars like i wanted to have um black folks in the film who oftentimes in black community spaces Mm -hmm. we deem as uh, non-respectable, as uh, deviant, mm-hmm. as disruptive, as um, you know, bringing down the black race. Nah, they are intellectuals. Mm-hmm. They are uh, critical portals to thinking about um, alternatives, alternatives to achieving success and joy. Versus some of us who who play by the rules, mm-hmm. quote unquote, mm-hmm. who go to college, who get the degree, who work at the finance job, and are still treated like niggas. Yeah. Right, and so. I think that we need to start listening to the black folks who are like, not doing that. Yeah. Not working for these white institutions. I'm setting my own hours. Um, and also the black folks who, you know, don't think that work needs to be the way that we have our humanity seen. Yeah. You know, bravo to the black folks out there, especially the black f- queer femmes out there who are breaking the paradigm by going into business themselves and actually capitalizing Mm. on their own um assets the things that are inherently theirs and there are a lot of people who even though they're in sex work they're still subject to like capitalistic practices Mm. they're still subject to mm. let that go by 
Go ahead. And, uh, you know, to, there's there are sex workers out there who are still subject to being um, stuck in oppressive capitalistic structures, like those who have, like, madams or quote-unquote pimps. But mm. then there are sex workers out there who are really finding ways to be the only person who profits off of their body. And, mm. like, congratulations to you. Like, I want to know more about that. I want to study that. Mm. I want to... I want to, because to me, that is the definition of agency. Mm, mm-hmm. Dope. That's true. That's, that's a whole other episode. Other questions that we had. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Johannes, about a scene that you just really felt connected to you. Yeah. Um, so, but, yeah. <laughs> In your experience just watching the film. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, my experience, um, it was pretty unique. Um, just being contacted about the music and mm-hmm. you know all, that whole process and just like not actually you know meeting you before um, mm-hmm. the trust that that was you know that was that happened um, <laughs> mm-hmm. I thought that was incredible so yeah. like I I felt like my the work that I gave you was was cared for thank and you so it 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 inspired me to uh, to flourish. Um, with you know, with water that came from my eyes. Um, oh, you cried? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Wow. He's like, you know, since you cried, we'll play your beat one more time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so happy. So you had an emotional. Yeah, I had an emotional experience. response. Uh, Good. To it because it was, I felt like it was something that that care was like really taken, um, and that's not something that I, that is not it's not common. Yeah, you know, yeah. So. I mean, care is a big you know, value that I hold in my work um, as an artist because, you know, I didn't go to film school, I didn't go to podcast school, whatever that's called. Like, I'm just using these tools, let it be the camera, the podcast recorder, um, as mechanisms to just, like, express my love for, like, Black people. Um, and also just, like, write a love letter to all the the, the dorks, the rejects, the fags, femmes and queers, uh, goofy boys that you know never felt like their blackness was was accepted um and it is and it's and it's dope and it's what makes us like such a a group of people that can never be you know defined or contained or put into a box so like care is something that i think i have been given in a lot of spaces that i worked at as i said earlier about like you know being in university spaces um you always have to find that other person who's marginalized uh, in order for you to be able to be you know successful there and that's why i credit and thank you know black women um throughout so much of my work because now that i'm older i recognize that like a lot of the black women who helped me get through some of the most trying times in my life they were also not treated right by those same men or those same institutions or those same employers and it's just like crazy to think about how they were able to turn around and be like caretakers and be mentors and be you know engaging in all this invisible labor um the things that we don't see so i like to work with love um which i think just makes sense that i work with people who look like me um because we like we understand what it's like to be um pushed to the margins and having to to still find um success in those spaces and um the reason why i love working with black joy um for the film in particular is because I think we're all using our art to kind of move our bodies away from the struggle of survival and to think about what it means to thrive and what it means to just like, you know, have happiness outside of like the ways that these institutions constantly underpay and undervalue us. So yeah, care, you're right, care, care is a big aspect of it. Dope. 
other questions that you had, and then we, I want to talk. I want to talk about futurism. Yeah, we're hitting. We're, do, you, we're, do you have my other question? Because I didn't bring my phone in here with me. Um, you can just say it, and then I'll, <clears throat> I'll edit this out. It was um, describe the relationship between compensation and blackness. And oh film. yeah. Okay, so at the end of the film, we have this amazing mantra that like really resonated with me, mm -hmm. right? And so I can play it. Please do. All the Caucasians. Don't do anything for them unless they overpay you. Don't do anything for them unless they overpay you. Unless they overpay you, don't you do anything for them. Don't you do anything for them unless they overpay you. I love that. And that, that, um, like, imperative, like, it, it, it really rocked me because for so long I've been discounting myself and my value because of my, um, marginalization. Mm. I figured because I'm black, because I'm trans, because I'm femme, it's going to be harder for me. So I'll have to discount myself so that I can be more, you know, appealing to quote unquote buyers or, mm. you know, people who will fund me. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, there's also this idea of scarcity being a source of value too, right? Some of the, the rarest things are the most expensive and because of their, um, being coveted and they're not being, they're being such a finite and small number. So I really, I just realized it was, I had to start seeing my intersections as premiums. Mm. And so mm. up charges, I, up charges. Right. Mm. And so I literally right after seeing that, I quoted some, uh, an agency wanted me to talk and I just quoted them like $5,000 for 20 minutes of work of mm -hmm. speaking. Mm -hmm. Now they didn't take it, but the, but we, but you know, your value, but I know, and I got in the practice and what it did was it got me out of the fear of being like, Oh, what if they hear my price? And then they just like walk away. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't, they were like, okay, well that's not what we have in the budget. Let's work on something else. And now, yeah. and it made me more confident to be like, oh, well, maybe the next one will take it, though. Like, mm -hmm. And um, I, I, so I wanted to know, what was your kind of conceptualization of, like, what's the conversation between compensation and blackness for you mm. um, when you were making the film? Yeah, so, like, first shout out to Dr. T, who helped me um, by taking my quote and, like, bringing it to life in a way that was, like, beyond my imagination, especially when we talk about you know, working with imagination and futurism, like, I wrote that quote after reading a particular book for the, that inspired me to make the film, but then, like, needed Dr. T's voice to really bring it to life in this kind of Afrofuturistic sci-fi way. And um, the book that I read when I created that quote was Listening to Images by Dr. Uh, Tina M. Camp. Shout out to her. It's a book that I use um, heavily in my dissertation, and it's a quite theoretical piece, but it's really about, like, re-looking at the uh, state images that like sometimes define uh, black life. So passport photos, ID photos, um, uh, what's it called when you get arrested? Uh, Mugshot. Mugshots mm -hmm. and thinking about folks, um, the stories that they're actually telling us when we as black people look at these images and see a more nuanced humanity in them. Um, Dr. Camp, I hope I'm doing your, your work good. Never met you girl, but if I see you at a conference, I'm sorry. Um, but I read that book and it, w it really gave me this, um, this idea about recuperation and how much black joy can't, as I said earlier, can't just be about smiles and us frolicking in the flower field. It's about giving my motherfucking money. Mm -hmm. And so she has this part um, 
in the book where she talks about like the the grammar of black feminist futurity is a performance of a future that hasn't yet happened but must mm -hmm. and that's what i was channeling when i made that quote like don't do anything for them unless they overpay you. Don't do a motherfucking thing for them unless they overpay you. It's not necessarily only about race. It's also about, like, as we think about ourselves as black folks, as trans folks, as black men, and how these institutions will never know the, the full depth of our gifts and of our knowledge and, like, what we bring to the world. Don't, don't put your body in these violent spaces, these institutions. Let it be cis men. Let it be um, heteronormativity, the church. Don't put your body in these violent institutions unless you are, unless you know your worth and you are assured that you're getting your worth and more, mm -hmm. and that you're and that you're seen and your value and your humanity um, is respected as it is. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think everybody can take that quote. Everybody black can take that quote and it can hit a different narrative. But for me, it was really about like you know finishing my PhD in May and still struggling to to get a tenure track job or still having mm -hmm. to write these job letters in a way where I have, you know, a fucking doctor in front of my name, but still need to code switch in order to be seen as valuable. Mm -hmm. Or like, you're still not, um, the film is, is a dope ass film, right? But mm -hmm. these institutions, unless it comes with a publication next to it, they don't really care about the film. Mm -hmm. um, the podcast is a great podcast. It's allowing us to, to meet each other and collaborate and share our stories. But like, if it don't come with a publication, we're not valued. Like, mm -hmm. so the film is, I mean, that quote, like, I feel like it was doing so much for me and I hope it gives other people just a, a, a lens to do exactly what you said, like put it into practice about like, nah, I'm not, I'm not uh, waking up and doing things for institutions unless I'm, you know, completely valued. And I recognize that even that is a privileged space to be in because some of us have to do stuff for these institutions. Mm -hmm. um, but it's also about just, just thinking about your, your worth, even if that is just for you, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, so recuperation. Recuperation. And another big thing that comes up in the film a lot that um, I wanted us to talk about is just, like, the role of futurism. Mm -hmm. Like, the role of, of as uh, Tina Camp says, like, as black artists, we are constantly engaging in a world that's not yet here. Um, and that's a, that's a big one. I think we talked a lot about uh, futurism. I'm also reading um, All Boys Aren't Blue by uh, George Johnson. And he talks about the ways that, like, black women, including his uncle's girlfriend, um, who at the time... Uh, her name was Honey, allowed him to kind of access his imagination and to play with gender and start calling people Honey Child. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and again, it's like, I just love um, the role of futurism in black queer life in particular and how, you know, it kind of goes back to what Johannes was saying about how blackness and queerness informs each other. But mm -hmm. I think that don't do anything for them unless they repay you. Like, there's a part of it that's about, you know, envi envisioning a world where we're valued and that world is obviously not here yet. Yeah. And in 2020, it's like we're backtracking. Mm -hmm. um, but it's also, for me, like, aside from the quote, I've been doing a lot of work in journaling and, ther and, and in therapy as well. Shout out to black people going to therapy. Um, about just, like, what are my dreams outside of labor? What are my dreams outside of institutions, right? Mm -hmm. And I think, like, all of us as artists, it's like, what does our art do for us when we're not making it, like, for someone else or when we're not making it you know through the valentine museum you know what i mean like and i think this film is one of the first pieces that i've um been able to put my name on where like even if not another person sees it and even before niggas saw the film i was like i love this this motherfucking film right and i just want to find a, a space in the world to to create more work like that you know what i mean where it's like i have a sense of belonging 
in the piece where I feel like if another person doesn't see the film, I'm really proud of it and it makes me um, feel seen in a way that um, institutions just have not done. As you should. Right? Yes. So, how about for y'all, like, futurism? How are y'all kind of playing with that in, in your work? Or world making, as some people call it. Yeah. I think, I think anytime we um, imagine better for ourselves we're uh participating in afrofuturism because mm -hmm. we are so thoroughly and institutionally um oppressed and we are relegated to the you know the the most unthanked jobs mm -hmm. um and we do underappreciated underappreciated jobs right we we built society we we create culture you know black women queer black women in particular are culture makers mm -hmm. and so um lord i lost my train of thought no it's fine anything is but you're hitting on the thing about um oh, afrofuturism afrofuturism okay. lord again same book hate to be i mean I, like bitch i am a scholar so let me just uh -huh. let me just cite my books <laughs> but because i'm reading this i read these works in tandem with the film like george um Johnson and All Boys Aren't Blue, he also talks about how the only safe space for black queer people is sometimes our imagination. Imaginary, yeah. And that it's shit, like, rocked my world because it's so real. And I'm, I'm experiencing that just being, like, a black person working in higher ed, right? right? Like, sometimes it's like, these folks will never understand, like, our value. And I also think, like, the generations of youth that are coming into college now, I see that there's this era of, like, they're not coming into these universe, these white university spaces like looking to belong there. Mm -hmm. They're looking at it as like, no, nah, this is a place we need to get what I need to get and be out. Yeah. And that was very, that was what was coming through in, in Jonas' uh, scene about doing, um, you know, taking the resources of the institution to make black matter and then getting the fuck out. And also Jonas' scene was about kind of like, um, why am I fucking up on this word? Inhibition, right? Mm -hmm. Jonas' scene was also about inhibition when, yeah. we, when we hold space for young black men um, to just be, right? You mm -hmm. see that he cannot just, he's not just being, he's doing it all, bitch. Like, yeah. he's doing ballet, he's yes. giving you scientists, he's giving you, um, anarchists and con mm -hmm. artistry, con artists. Yes. He's, he's, he's doing, he's, he's going in and out of all these different identities because we're just allowing him to just express his full, like, you know, death and, and, and joy and talent. So, like, I love, um, the idea, I love the idea of us thinking about the imagination as sometimes the only safe space, yeah. quote unquote, for uh, black folks and for black queer folks because sometimes we have to, we have to create a world through our art, through our music, through our, our writing that ain't here yet. Yeah, and for me, like, I also participate in Afrofuturism by reading, like, um, I, by, uh, what is it, reading black sci-fi and fantasy so uh, uh authors like Nnedi okorafor um tomi adayemi nalo hopkinson like these are amazing authors who have dared to uh be in the space of science fiction and fantasy when that is a frontier that I think most black people wouldn't have even thought about it's so irrelevant to us in so many ways mm. and yet Black nerds and black queers are starved for this. Mm. We, I, I want to escape and I want to see myself in a book. And I also want to speculate about what 
it means to move into the future while also bringing my ancestry in and like bringing the past into the future mm. and contemporizing both into the present. Mm. So, mm. Dope. um, I, I love <clears throat> black fantasy fiction. That is like my shit right now. Um, and I also love like bell hooks and I love anyone who helps me break down what's going on currently so that I can ensure a better future for myself. Yes, yes. Before we take a break, I want to go through um, some other questions that we had about the film. One comes from Jamar. Let me stop acting like this podcast is popular. They all come from Jamar. <laughs> we <laughs> <laughs> The fan. The fan of the podcast. He says, um, what is a fascinating discovery you made about yourself as a creative during the process? Um, we can all answer them. Yeah. I would say discovery for me was that, like, I, I actively, um, I am rejuvenated, I'm hydrated, and I'm enriched by the everyday things of my life, of my black life, that I have, um, just gotten so accustomed to. Like, the phone calls with my grandmother, or, like, calling my auntie Sharon when I've just, like, I've had it with working, you know, in higher ed, or... Uh, working in uh, part of the non-profit industrial complex and like these are things that like these family members don't even understand or like mm -hmm. don't you know have daily experience with but just like I think this film so much of it was about bringing to the center those textures of my blackness that are just a part of the everyday black life like we all have that auntie we all have you know that grandma who calls us or the old or the black woman in our family who's like where the hell are you yeah we all have that and I think like the film, I wanted to center those things. Um, another thing that I discovered about myself is like how safe I feel living in a black neighborhood. And I mean safety as a metaphor, but also safety as like a safe space. Yeah. Because I think during COVID, you know, someone that I struggle with anxiety and ADHD and, 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 and being focused and like me feeling like I was gonna lose my mind having to constantly just work from home and not be able to go to like a physical space that yeah. my body has kind of categorized as like this is where you do work. Mm -hmm. Being able to walk throughout Jackson Ward during all this shit and just be among black folks sitting on their porch, yeah. you know, talk to black people that I that I just meet, you know, in the streets, etc. Like the film was intentionally um, we filmed places in Jackson Ward because I live in this neighborhood mm -hmm. and now if quarantine lasts another five years, when I walk through these certain parts of my neighborhood. I have these like new memories there from filming there. Yeah. So that was another fascinating discovery about about you know my creative uh, creativeness during this process is just like how important everyday black shit is to me and how much mm -hmm. it like is a part of my survival. Yeah. Um, what about for y'all? Like, what was a creative uh, interesting discovery you made about yourself when you was twerking on the table? So I think it was disrespect. Th oh, you know I love disrespectability <laughs> politics. I'm always disrespectful. <laughs> Disrespectable. And we're coming to you next, so. Y'all are looking at me like we need to take a break. We will. I'm not. Oh. I'm, are you good, Johanna? Yeah, I'm good. Okay, do we need to play your beat again? I'm <laughs> wait. <laughs> Park you up. You gotta get your other shit because you do want to sample the other beats, so. So in the break, after. Um, Something that I love, and, and I wouldn't say I necessarily surprise myself, but something I don't get to do very often because most people don't recognize the the nuance and my my inherent duality, but being able to be an academic and and 
and twerk on a on a boardroom table. Yes, you know, Doctor Aurora. In the yeah, Doctor Aurora twerks on tables. Like, yes. and that's just who she is. And yes. she's going to show other queer kids who twerk on tables that just because you twerk on tables doesn't mean you can't be a doctor. Mm. And it just because you're a doctor doesn't mean you can't twerk on tables. And mm. so I want to create. I want to move outside of like what you said. Alok Menon mentioned about like I'm not going to be your poster child, and I'm not going to be your trauma porn either. I'm mm. going to find my way in between. And I'm going to, you know, there are people out there who would want to see me twerk on the table, but would be alienated by my intellect. Mm -hmm. And I'm just saying, you don't get one or the other. I'm inherently both, and they're inextricable. Critical Kiki, Bell Hooks, and City Girls. Dr. City Girls. Dr. City Girls. What did you say about um, <clears throat> Megan Thee Stallion? Um, oh, what? Swipe and shout out to Cardi B. Leave his ass, girl. You're better without oh, him. Oh, what did, oh, what did you oh, say about? Oh, oh, I said something like... First Corinthians. Oh, Because there's no. so much theoretical shit that happens in the WAP oh, song. Oh, I know. Oh, uh, Corinthians 828. Um, and on the eighth day, Megan defined the relationship. And it was good. Because Megan the Sign in the WAP song with Cardi B says, If it don't hang, we can't bang. And for me, that has so much more meaning besides the dick hanging low. It's also about, like... For me, it's like, if you can't hang, if you can't be in the library with me, reading these books, if you can't hang out at therapy, we can't bang. If you can't work on your shit, I'm not interested, you know? And it's just like, I think the, the, the challenge of being a black academic is that you can't turn it off, right? So like, mm -hmm. in my dating world, in my friend circle, it's like, girl, you're projecting on me. Yeah. Girl. <laughs> I'm like, girl, I love you, but mm -hmm. that's not... I can't give you that emotional labor right now. And when I say girl, I'm talking about a lot of the niggas in my life. It's like, when you start working on yourself, you start looking at some of the other men in your life, and you're like, I love y'all. Mm. Like, what's Miss um, Parker say? I love y'all for real. Mm -hmm. But... But I can't drag you with me <laughs> on this journey. Like, Period! I refuse to drag you kicking and screaming. Yes! What's the scene, uh, Johannes, or just a part of, of working with us on this film, Everyday Black Matter, that, um... <laughs> <laughs> that you like you know discover something new about yourself yeah I'm, I'm, yeah that, that's a that's a really difficult question um i don't know what i necessarily discovered um, i think the, the way i was brought into the process um i think maybe yeah so maybe that i did discover something so i discovered that that there are people who take care um mm, take care work. of their yeah, yeah don't so, mm -hmm. i appreciate that I appreciate that because it's given me um, the green light to ask you to do more stuff. So we're going to be working together. And no, but like all seriousness, like I, I love your aesthetic in terms of sound making. So like I'm definitely open to us further collaborating. Um, more question? Y'all cool with that? Sure. Um, what was the most challenging scene, moment to capture and why? Um, I have to say, since you're here, it was Aurora's scene. I feel like I learned a lot as a quote unquote director, but not an expert of the black women or black trans women experience um, and also not an expert of like representing all you know types of black identity in the film um, in a film where I'm intentionally trying to decenter the white gaze mm -hmm. and the male gaze mm -hmm. right and originally um, we talked about this on the last recording that like I wanted you because we talked so much about uh, burlesque and yeah. sex work and, and dance and and um, being flamboyant and, and expressive with our sexuality outside of the, the container that black folks are put into when it comes to expression. Mm -hmm. I wanted you to I wanted you to dance in the film. Yeah. 
but at the same time, knowing that the film was going to be, you know, predominantly sh shown in predominantly black spaces, there was no way, you know, after working with um, our special effects and editing mentor Keys, who also identifies along the trans experience, there was no way that we could have a black trans woman in the film who fits, like, these, you know, be beauty standards that I think a lot of folks would see you in the film if you didn't have a speaking role and be like, oh, like, accept her because she's beautiful. Accept her because she's, you know, a beautiful black woman. Like, and I, I couldn't do that. So right. we had to have a speaking role um, for you. So that's why we added in that scene. And it was a learning experience for me to make sure that, like, you are, that's why we put doctor in front of your name because, like, at the end of the day, like, you are a doctor of your own experience. And so, like, from what I've learned from you and the times that you've gotten me together, mm -hmm. I heard that when I was in the editor's room. Mm. And I think, oh. like, it's really dope to make sure that you're being someone's friend and advocate even when they're not in the room. Yeah. Because if, if we're being real, mm. like, being a film editor or a film director, it's very mm. easy to go into that white people bullshit yeah. and be telling people's story or representing someone. And so I knew that working with friends that y'all would give me a level of trust with your work, mm -hmm. which is why I, I feel like I went to bed extra early so that I could wake up and be, like, ready to learn and ready to show, like, care for the work. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say, like, your scene... Your scene wasn't challenging, but it's a scene where I really wanted to make sure that, like, you were happy with it, yeah. in a way. Yeah. Um, and similar to you, Johannes, as well, it's like, we never even fucking met each other. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I would say Aurora's scene was, like, something that was like, this scene has to hit right. It's mm -hmm. gotta be beautiful, it's gotta be elegant but ratchet it's got to be intellectual yeah. and it has to give you like i feel like putting you where you are in the film and i danced after your scene it was because mm -hmm. i felt so connected to what you were saying mm -hmm. but i also felt like you needed to be in front of mr sample uh who sang the song because it's like you child the ancestor the white people mad at us. My life just put Octavia, check on my... I told you my dog ate the book cover to Octavia Butler's book and things have not been the same since. Uh. Um, but I felt very deeply connected between you and Mr. Sample, yeah. who sang the song in Jackson Ward. And I think there is so much about... Um, there's so much work. Let's be real. Black cis men need to get their shit together when it comes to the treatment of trans women. Yeah. And so putting you in front of him mm -hmm. was intentional, but also dancing between you two to show how I was seeing a connection there. Yeah. And I was seeing a vulnerability there. And I was seeing a sense of like um, joy by any means necessary in both of your <clears throat> scenes. Because when um, Mr. Sample, when he's singing the song, if you notice, mm -hmm. like the bus goes by, mm -hmm. you hear the cars starting, like he just stays focused and yeah. he stays singing him. And he's, he, it's like, it was this, for me, it was this very nuanced metaphor about like, when the world is literally burning down, there are black trans women, there are black men, there are black people who are just, you know, living and finding finding joy and finding their, their burlesque sexual self yes. on the stage. And, like, I think we have to put y'all at the front and center of these types of pieces of work to show black folks that, like, there must always be joy by any means necessary. Yeah. And, and when I say joy, like, joy meaning expression of sexuality. Yes. All of that. Yeah, so those, those, that was, that was the scene that was, you know, different for me to make than I had done before. Well, I really appreciate you saying that. That means a lot. Thank you. Well, thank you. Yeah. That's what I said. Thank no, thank you. you. No, thank, thank you. you. <laughs> <laughs> Fools. <laughs> Johanna's looking at us like the fuck this is what I get first of all you're looking at me like two nights ago this nigga didn't know how to work the podcast now <laughs> you're projecting a lot on Johanna's <laughs> <laughs> 
I just want to show you that I got my shit together. I hope that I'm... <laughs> Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> Presets. Is there a point in the film that you feel like your most authentic black self? I think we talked yeah. a lot about that uh, throughout the film. I, I, I really do. Through, and I feel that through other folks as well. Yeah. Um, I felt like my most authentic black self um, when I was wearing the do rag. Um, yeah. To be honest, especially in my dance scene, I was intentionally wearing all of the do rags yeah. to show that, like, through this black dimensionality lens. I feel connected to every one of the do-rags. They all represented something different, yeah. um, which we could talk about another time. But, like, you know, I um, the do-rags were something very personal to me. Mm-hmm. And I, I put them in the film intentionally because I know that they were, one, personal to me. But I know that they ha- they can and they should have a completely different meaning to everyone that's, that's in the film and beyond because we're not a monolith. But for me, the do-rags really were, like, an ode to all the folks in my childhood who were so bound by, you know, gender rules and who would call me, like, you know, don't be too flamboyant. Like, before you go on a job interview, you got to get that shape up. Like, they ain't going to hire you if your hair doesn't look a certain way. And, like, you know, don't... If you're going to be gay, don't get a hair weave. Like, mm-hmm. why you have to have the hair extensions now that you're gay? Like, don't... um If you're going to wear heels as a boy, don't do the, don't do them too, too feminine. Like, yeah. the do-rag was about taking a black-ass thing that we all know. We all have a do-rag. We all know what the do-rag is for and what it's and what it does, etc. And adding some faggotry to it. <clears throat> Blowing it up, making it flamboyant, and over-exaggerating it to show that, like, queer people have always influenced and made black culture rich, nuanced, and complicated, mm-hmm. and, and, and just fucking dope, right? Yeah. And we constantly get erased... In, in the black church, we constantly get erased by the university. We constantly get erased by some black women who are still waiting for Superman and who yeah. want the cis, straight black man mm-hmm. to be the face of the movement. Mm-hmm. And like, mm-hmm. well, where is he, sis? Right. And so, I, <laughs> still waiting. So the do rag was really about, as Johannes talked about, letting queerness and blackness speak to each other. And so that's why they were six to eight feet long. Shout out to Sasha Williams, who like totally took that vision and like, you know, girl, we went to Joanne Fabrics and just brought those do-rags to life. Um, and the do-rag, the symbolism behind them was kind of like, the do-rag is a... I have a story about when I was younger, my, my cousin's boyfriend, basically, like, in the bathroom of, like, our home growing up, like, taught me how to protect, how to protect my waves mm-hmm. when I wanted... I, was, I had... We all had that. I had a, a childhood um, season where I was obsessed with having waves and mm-hmm. wanted to have waves like everybody else. What waves on swim? Yes. <laughs> and he got me the brush and he got me the do-rag and told me like before you go to bed make sure you put the brush you brush your hair forward and make sure you put the do-rag on. If you're going to sweat make sure you put your do-rag on and I would keep that black do-rag with me everywhere I went mm-hmm. because I thought that was like the way to keep my hair you know magical. Mm-hmm. Um, but the do-rag is a thing that is about protecting your style mm-hmm. but it's also a um, protective style right and so it's also style in itself yeah so the the do-rags were just like for me was so much fun to play around with because like each person who wore it in the film had like a different connection to do-rags yeah. you know yeah for me when i was looking at it i i saw the do-rags as like capes and both in the sense yes. of like being regal and also in, in the sense of being like superhuman yes and because we and are protecting that right exactly and and so um i think we are we are royal and we are superhuman um and in this way where, you know, not to play into this narrative of, of us being needing to be resilient. and needing magic. To be, yeah. yeah. But at the same time, we're not of this world. We're beyond this world. So mm. in that way, we are magic. In that way, we are superheroes. Mm. Um, Dope. Yeah. Dope. So, yes, the do-rags, they, uh, 
they did a lot. And you were telling us about, um, you said something about the... Yeah, there's a, there's a Durag Fest um, in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, Say more about that, then we're going to take a break. Yeah, so like there's a, a festival, I think it got canceled this year because, yeah, because mm-hmm. of the virus or whatever, but... I think for, I think it's been happening for the past three or four years now. Oh, nice! Um, and it's it's run by like I think uh, three different artists, um, and they're all kind of like they do all types of different things. They do commercial art, do graphic design, um, and they throw these events. So mm-hmm. uh, shout out to those um, that that run the Durag. Where does the Durag Fest take place? It takes place in Charlotte, North Carolina. We need to go. We need to get these do rags from the film in yeah. some kind of museum or mm-hmm. some like space to showcase them. That's like the next next level thing. So we're gonna be doing that. Better submit it to the DC museum. Yeah, though. right. I wonder if they would take it, girl. Come on with your high hopes for me. Come on, Afrofuturism. <laughs> this will be where you would put one of your beats in and fade us out. You know what I'm saying? We'll be right back. things that uh, I wanted to do on this podcast, especially because we're experimenting, you know, a bitch is leveling up on her podcast skills. I wanted to like give you a chance to play another beat um, on the po- on this episode that you can kind of talk us through and just like tell us about it, your process for making it and just like, you know, how it brings you joy, especially because I think we'll be working together more on like music. And I'm interested in how you said that you don't title your beats. Yeah. So yeah. explain what that's about. Yes, I mean, so the reason why they, they don't have any titles is is mainly because um, I'm just trying to, like, categorize them. Um, so, like I said, I create, like, an archive. Mm. So, like, all the sounds that you hear within the beat, um, they've been archived. So I have, like, I can return back to them and it's organized in that way. Um, just purely just organization. Um, but, yeah, so, I mean, titles come later, you know, once. So, like, they're, you know, tied to your project, then we can create a title, you know, once... Once we've created, you've created this scene for it, and you've put, you know, orchestrated the music with it. So then, like, then the title, I feel like, can, can, you know, materialize in that way. So yeah. All right. So I'm about to send the uh, non-title beat that you sent to me. This is my <laughs> first time um, hearing it, and I'm excited to hear this. So let's figure out how to play this.
dope. There's a lot going on uh, in that beat. It's fire. I mean, I love it. I have so many vibes from it. I love this idea that your songs don't have titles because it does give us a chance to like put our own kind of map onto it. Yeah. So it's dope. It's dramatic. I feel like it's got like a black vibe to it because you have actual like black vocals coming in, like a step team, I'm assuming that is. Like if I could put a title to it, it's very like, I would call it like Black Feels. That's, that's yeah. what it could be. <laughs> There's a part of me that like wants you to give a title, but it's also like I'm interrogating like why I need you to do that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that also makes it like another mm -hmm. challenge. So it's a great beat. How do you get like in the headspace to make these very like complicated beats? Yeah, I mean And do you uh, even define them as complicated? Like maybe it's just what what's coming out of you is just it's just you. Yeah, I mean there, there's like there's so many different things that I'm, you know, influenced by. So like I just I just try to like you know, just be open and be free. Uh, sometimes I can take a bunch of different sounds um, or samples or stuff that I recorded in the field or just me beating on stuff. Mm. And I'll play them, like, like kind of DJ them and like play them all simultaneously, um, mess with the levels of it and then see what kind of like fits and what kind of works uh, for my personal tastes and like, uh, and even in that beat that we just played, um, there was a moment where I was like, maybe I should repeat like the the step team and make it like a more of a uh, staccato like rhythm. Mm -hmm. um, but instead, I was like, just let it play out fully, um, so it was not so like rhythmic and pleasing. Um, I just wanted to like kind of be anti uh, repetition in that in that particular part. Mm -hmm. So just making no decisions like that is like like you know fun. And you do these kind of like in solitude by yourself, or do you make these with friends, or? Yeah, no, no, these are like, these are completely like done in solitude. It's a like a relationship with you. I have to like be, I'm like, I don't know if I have been categorized as like ADHD or whatever, but I can't like focus, creatively I can't focus on a bunch of different things simultaneously. I have to like. Yeah, yeah, like, so you have to get in your own yeah, kind of space. Nice, it's a, it's a great beat. I'm already like thinking about how it could be like what types of visuals it could be applied to. I see like a lot of marching. I definitely see like nuanced black bodies in nature when I hear that. Um, I see like definitely some close-ups on like different hair textures as I love to do in film work. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's giving a lot of um, like very earthy black vibes, yeah. but then like dramatic with the step team too. Yeah, and uh, I, you know, when I was listening to it, I, I was curious to know like what your mindset was when you were making it because when I heard it, it it definitely evoked, like scenes of like, <clears throat> not battle but preparing for battle, like that that hype up moment where mm. you know you're um, yeah you're sort of like beating your chest or like stomping the ground and like that exhibition of power. But then there then there are these other really long, deep, earthy notes that get like that string that gets plucked and it's just like a really elongated. Um, um, and it and that makes me feel like zen almost. So it's mm. like this di um, juxtaposition of like zen and like battle, mm. like and that's what I'm getting from it. But I'm curious to know like what you what mindset you were in. Yeah, you know I wasn't gonna tell the story, but it's, I, I think it's uh, I guess it's befitting. So like I I made that beat. Um, this beat because I'm playing it in the background. <laughs> Come on yeah. now, technology. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I made this beat that you hear in the background. Um, specifically, I didn't make it for it, but there was a video. So there was a presentation during grad school. Uh, it, 
was like this my second year and we do an introduction and so there's like this event that they create where everybody comes together to uh, welcome in the new grad students and then to see the previous grad students um, mm -hmm. and where they are and their work right so like there is this uh, there was like a coffee shop or something so everybody um, is sitting there and viewing everyone's work and there's like a bio and there's imagery um, and then this was mine so I like I created this beat and show like a montage of my work because mm. um, it has so much going on in it. yeah and it, but it was like you know like a call to action right it's mm -hmm. like a and it was like me like uh, showing that I'm here yeah um, but what actually ended up happening is they had some technical difficulties and no one ever saw it Never, oh, wow. No one saw what? The montage? Yeah, they never But they heard your beat though. No, no, they heard, what? No, it didn't uh, work. So, like, um, they had some problems trying to, like, make videos work and stuff like that. <laughs> so, no one ever seen it. Oh my god. Yeah. But it's cool because, like, now I get a chance. Now it has its, uh, you know. It's found significant yeah. than a whole other yeah, endeavor. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. It's, it's even better, so. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fabulous piece. I, I like. I have so many questions about your music, but also like I don't want to ask the questions. I just like like to feel it and then like think about how I could, you know, get in the studio with it and just like let my body move to it, um, which is really what we did with Everyday Black Matter. Um, so it's it's I think your process really fits with like what we're creating with Black Matter. It's like it doesn't have to be defined, doesn't have to have a title, but it's about just like this collaboration through different uh, Black dimensionalities and Black identities coming together, collaborating, and just like moving uh through film through the through the interview of this podcast like there's no direction right like i love i love that you don't title it because it gives me space to create from it you know by leaving it unnamed you're like not stunting its growth and it's like living yes. i love that living music mm. it's dope it's a it's a great beat so give you a round of applause for that uh, we wanted to add that round of applause <laughs> <laughs> And going forward, when I hear um, the beat and I think about, um, there's another beat that comes up uh, on the film that uh, I actually made. Uh, it, well, there's another beat that comes up on the film that's made from um, a part of my dissertation writing. And it's the Khan Artistry beat. That one does have a title <laughs> because it is, um, it's key... Uh, to the it's key to the film because the con artistry beat that is in Jonah's scene when he takes off the, the white jacket it uh, brings so much of my writing uh, to visual mm -hmm. and I wanted to like just play that beat and then like have us talk a little bit about it so the con artistry beat is made by uh, Wes Taylor and it's constructed through my dissertation writing That's a sample of the Con Artistry beat, and I, I fucking love that beat because I think it fits so well with the scene. Do you remember it, Aurora? Part where um, Jonah whips off the white jacket. Yes. 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 Um, oh right. Yes. And so it's just like, uh, is it Black Joy? The Black Joy scene. Yeah. It's very yeah. I mean, there's a lot going on in that scene, um, and Con Artistry does kind of pair with the uh, "Don't do anything for them unless they overpay you" quote. Mm -hmm. But really, what's happening? Um, and that scene is, you know, he's coming into the, the the institution and he's taking 
you know, their tools, their materials to make Black Matter. It's kind of speaking to the ways that we have to kind of code switch Mm -hmm. and enter into these spaces and like suppress a part of ourselves. But like there are resources there. Those resources are ours. Reparations is not about us getting something new. It's about them paying a debt that is owed. And so he is there to take what is his and he's using it to make Black Matter and then bring the black matter, the joy, the, the ingredients, all the things that he, that he used, mm-hmm. um, bring it back to the black space, which is the parking lot, Jackson Ward, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, so con artistry is like, it's this, this concept, this theoretical concept, of course, that I, I use a lot in my like scholarly writing, but it really roots from like my own personal life. And it's really to um, pay homage to the artist scamming. And the, the ways that, you know, me growing up with a mother who um, was in and out of incarceration for con artistry, interpret that as you will, um, it, it allows me to not only um, recognize my mom through my critical academic work for the things that she taught me, but also the ways that, like, con artistry teaches me, um, or my mom, rather, has, like, given me the tools uh, to survive in these institutional spaces. Mm-hmm. And so thinking about how... Um, in order for black folks to kind of thrive, not just survive in these spaces that are riddled than white in white supremacy, we have to often engage in deception, in, yeah. in scamming. We have to engage in in uh, subversion. Yeah. And so, con artistry, like for me, it's 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 art that I use to unpack and make con artistry, you know, recognized as intellectual contributions. Um, but also it's, it's, a, it's just about the ways in which like everyday black life in order for us to move ourselves from survival, we have to think about like deceiving yeah. these, these systems. Um, and there's so much of that in the film, uh, that also pairs with the, with the quote, but it's, you know, it's a, it's a tribute. Um, and I created that term in my dissertation work because I wanted to find a way to kind of restore humanity, uh, back to my mom as I'm writing about these things so that like, you know, if I, if I just listen to the ways in which that like the state defines our lives Mm -hmm. then like there would be nothing good about having a mother that was in and out of the system but we know that um there still was joy there whether the checks were coming from from whether they whether the school clothes come from bad checks school shopping between a young sissy black boy and his mom was still a great memory and so i think if um if it does nothing else i think that as black folks i'm trying to give us a space through art to define and see our lives um, outside of the ways that the state archives and uh, categorizes us. Yeah. There are these you, uh, these authors. I'm sure you probably know them. It's um, Harney and Moten. They wrote mm-hmm. um, the Undercommons, yeah. which is like we're as like uh, this idea of fugitivity mm-hmm. paired with like McClanahan, Annie McClanahan or Anne McClanahan's mm-hmm. um, dead pledges mm-hmm. with this idea of like as black people we are born indebted mm. and um, we have to in order to get out of debt. The, our only option is to subvert or through fugitivity because um, the system was just not built for us to strive. So us striving means that we have to bend or break the rules. Mm-hmm. Constantly. And, yeah. And then back to the, you know, Hardy and Moden and Undercommons, they talk about like 
the university being this site that should be scammed. Period. And, and because, like, it's not really here for you, sis. So when you, you know, enter it, take what you need, exploit the system because they're going to exploit you. I'm just saying, like, you know, when you get what you have to, get that head, get that bread, then leave. Peace out. That's like, it's just what it has to be right now until the system is actually equitable and um, here for our liberation. Period. And I think also con artistry as a theoretical and practical term, as an art term, it gives us space to recognize criminals as entrepreneurs. Yeah. And black single mothers as fucking innovators and world makers and, you know, <coughs> scammers, uh, you know, women who are out here like, nah, like, fuck this nigga, treat me bad, get a bag yeah. from it. Like, sex workers. Sex workers, of course, like, it's, it's, the, the academic term is definitely fugitivity mm -hmm. that, I'm, that I'm coming from when I wrote about con artistry, mm -hmm. but tying it to music, bringing it into the film, <clears throat> you know, showing the ways that, like, I had to engage in con artistry to, like, maintain my humanity and, uh, and, and find a sense of belonging in a space that wasn't built for me as, mm -hmm. a, as a quote unquote black academic. Like, it's a, it's a deep term, um, and I use art to unpack it, but I feel like there's so many other ways that you can unpack con artistry, and I just feel like. You know, I read this meme the other day that said, shout out to all the black people who do other work at work. Yes, I love that. I love that. And that's what I'm talking about with con artistry. It's like, <clears throat> we wouldn't have been able to make a dope ass film like this without engaging in like, you know, deception as a, as a, as a productive term. Yeah. And it's only white people who say that these things are quote unquote bad, but not everybody has the privilege to live a respectable life yeah. and a respectable life as defined by white supremacist standards of, you know, being just and being law abiding, etc. Yeah. You know? And, and also through our fugitivity, it's not just like so much that we have to like live these inherently like justify these inherently like problematic lives. Like mm. we're actually finding fuller ways to live 100%. outside of the paradigm. When you think about con artistry as a as a practical term, you, you can't ignore the black queer folks, the black trans folks who walk down the street every day in full fabulosity, mm -hmm. hashtag Madison Moore. Yes. And the ways that like us embracing ourselves as we are, like it recreates these, um, it recreates definitions of beauty yeah. and, and transforms, you know, these rigid spaces and shows that like, as a would say, we're putting on a, a, an armor mm -hmm. uh, to go out and fight war. And so con artistry is definitely a term that I'm going to like explore in my forthcoming book as an academic when I talk <laughs> about like black joys, critical practice, yeah. but I want to make more art from a place of con artistry. Yeah. And what I mean by that is like, you know, a place of rage, a place of like, um, speaking to and showing uh, the, the very, you know, personal stories and experiences of black folks who have to make a way in these spaces that constantly like devalue us, yeah. right? So like, how do you get the grant and do a bunch of other shit with it? So, right. you know, shout out to everybody that is engaging in con artistry mm -hmm. um, because, you know, one of the things that's also very, very true, why I think this is such a productive term and why I think it was so dope for the movie is like, we both know that like black and other marginalized folks, we must sometimes engage in deception in order to thrive in these white supremacist spaces and sometimes even black spaces. Maybe the art museum that gives us a $3 grant when we do, you know, $30,000 worth of labor. Um, the university, the healthcare system that's not conditioned to listen to black women. Mm -hmm. Like con artistry right now is needed because I, I know in 2020, I'm not in a space where I think that like the revolution is gonna be funded by the diversity and inclusion 
initiative. Mm -mm. I really think like it's time for us to take agency into our own hands and think about what it looks like to find alternatives. Yeah. So the PhD program that I'm in, full time, the what the stipend they give you for a year is sixteen thousand dollars, and that's that's expected to be your full time job. Because you do three classes and then you do TA That's a position. poverty salary. That's a poverty salary. And then um, on top of that, they don't even give us at my institution health care like a lot of institutions do. Like, how am I as a black trans woman who's already facing, um, you know, uh, inequity in health and uh, factors that in my life that are, you know, going to affect my health? How am I supposed to do this incredibly stressful thing and mm. not even have the basic necessity of mm -hmm. healthcare? Yeah. Joannis, do you feel like that uh, <clears throat> speaks to like the art world as well? Like I know in getting gigs and doing different types of things, like it's crazy how we are often expected to do so much work for like so little bit of money. And like even for me, I was talking to you earlier, but like making the film was where I found joy and making the film was a lot of fucking work. But then like these institutions don't account for how much time it takes and how much we should still be paid when the film is done. You have to do the marketing and you have to do the press and the promo and like you want to make sure that it gets into other film festivals. Like the logistical stuff to support our... The logistical support sometimes is what we need, not just the grant. It's often mm -hmm. like, just give us a buttload of money or just give us the grant and like it'll all get done. But then like there's no like human support for the work, which is yeah. like just something that they don't teach you in art school. That like you have to be your own like everything and um i'm finding that a lot of black academics and black artists the system is the way that it is or we're treated the way that we are by these institutions because so many of us have just become accustomed to the violence that is like the hazing ritual of you're just broke until you you know get that exhibition or you're just broke until you get tenure or you're just treated like crap until you like publish a really great book like yeah i would say it's the same it's a, yeah, yeah it's insane it's insane. i would say it's the same I think maybe even more so because I was talking about like how it's this idea of like, you know, starving artists. It's like, you know, it's this thing. It's like, and then it's like, you know, like, you know, enjoy your poverty type thing. Mm -hmm. you know? So it's like, um, you know, that's all like part of the game. It's and I think the conversation around like reparations is hopefully changing that. So yeah. we shall see. I hope that this film uh, builds onto folks thinking folks who are thinking about reparations i hope that this film helps folks do that like in practice even if it is just sending a venmo to one of us in the film so this has been dope i love y'all i think this is fab i think um it's great that we were able to come together through doing this um i want you to you know any general kiki that you have tell us what you're working on right now how can people support you how can people follow you? Um, just what's going on in your everyday black matter? I'm not smooth with it. I, I know it's good. was like, what do you mean you're not smooth with it? You just you speak you speak to us through the beats. Yeah. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Don't let me have to hit another. <laughs> well, if you want to check some of my workout, I have some stuff going on. So there's this there's this uh, public exhibition. Um, it's a mural outside Columbia, Maryland downtown in the Meriwether District, um, you can just roll up and, you know, download this app. All information is there in the space. Download the app and put your phone up and you, there are some collage videos and some music that plays. Um, then there's also a show in Augusta, Georgia. Um, it's a solo show of, of my work um, that revolves around themes of, you know, protest and then mm -hmm. some other ideas. I'm thinking about dealing with comic books. Mm -hmm. um, 
Yeah, and then you can reach me, uh, you know, at Johannes Barfield on Instagram. Mm. Um, yeah. And your your uh, tell us about. I know you're not going to give us all the tea, but your dream like project. Uh, I would, my dream project would probably be uh, along the lines of, of creating a film. Mm. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say I would be director, but like have some sort of like creative direction with the mm. film. Mm. I want to see your 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 beats like in more like films because of the ways that like you allow artists to just like create through it. So I feel like having other Black folks like use your beats. I can't imagine like the visuals that it could be paired yeah, to. Yeah, definitely. Dr. Lady of the Nights, yes. what are you uh, working on? So uh, I'm getting my PhD in the Media Art and Text program at VCU and uh, I could use funding um, <laughs> yes. for that work um, and you can... You know, All the Caucasians listening. Yes, you can catch me on um, Venmo at Aurora-Higgs. You can catch me on Cash App at Aurora... Hig, Dash Higgs, I believe. And if you want to uh, find me on social media, my professional Instagram is Aurora Who Is She? And then my burlesque Instagram is Aura Von Astra, and that's O R A V O N A S T R A. Give me a shout out, and if you're interested in maybe having me speak or perform for you, you can reach out to me. I love being in front of the camera, I love being behind the camera, and I'm also a public speaker, so. Um, you know, I do stuff. I I facilitate webinars for state agencies and stuff, so she can do it all. Yes, yes. Um, I thank y'all for coming on the show. This was so so much fun. Give you a little round of applause. Shout out to everybody that was in the Everyday Black Matter film. It's the first digital piece that, um, or film piece rather, that came from the podcast. And I want to thank everybody that has been a guest on this show because this podcast, you know, we've, we're getting better, but it started out really, really raggedy. And um, the podcast, though, even though um, I had no idea where this was going to go, the film really is a baby that was birthed from the podcast and the podcast allowed me to have really complicated nuance and beautiful conversations with black people who are a part of my everyday life um and who i've met along the way of grad school that have just um challenged me and that just i think push the norm of like what we all think it means to be black and to be queer and to be all um intersections of those things and so the podcast was a way for me to kind of curate material uh for the film and so Everybody that has been on the show really contributed to it. Even the folks that aren't necessarily in the film, they were a major inspiration. So I shout all of y'all out um, and all the artists that we worked with was great. You can catch the film Everyday Black Matter on uh, the Africana Film Festival uh, Eventbrite platform. And there's gonna be a link for that um, in this episode description. And so will be a link for uh, Johannes and Aurora's uh, Instagrams and ways to pay them and contact them and um, book them. Uh, you definitely want Aurora to come perform and you definitely want Johannes to um, grace you with a beat and maybe you'll be creative enough to create a title and a dance or two to fit with the beat or some dope ass visual. But don't contact Johannes unless you have um, you know some dope visuals with that beat too. <laughs> You know, I thank both of y'all. I hope that this is just the beginning of us collaborating and doing work together. And, um, you know, it'd be really, really cute for us to screen the film together somewhere dope and, you know, look fabulous on some panel and just shoot the shit. Because um, that's why I make this kind of work. And um, 
I don't identify necessarily as a film director, but I want to keep directing films. <laughs> and so I hope that y'all are around for the next one because, you know, Africana Film Festival, shout out to them. It's, it's an every year festival and um, we got to make a film for next year. So I don't know what we're doing it about, but I think the next film is about con artistry. Yes. I'll leave that there. Um, so we, go, we would close this with one of your beats. We'll do that in uh, post uh, editing, whatever you call it. Post production. Post production. Look at me, ghetto. <laughs> <laughs> do that in the post. In my in my office. <laughs> in post. Do that in post. Thank y'all. Johanna, some beats, my G.